in so many ways, this environment, which was so unfamiliar to many of us, ended up becoming home. And I believe that we were searching for community. We wanted to share what we love and what makes us cry and what makes us laugh and what drives us crazy. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Crimson Rose, and the community we're talking about needs no introduction. Crimson is a co-founder of Burning Man, the BlackRock Arts Foundation, and the Burning Man Project. Her life, passion, and work have focused on the arts, artistic expression, and community. Crimson began participating in the Burning Man event in 1991 and was the original fire dancer. She developed the organization's art department, including the infrastructure that makes the large-scale participatory artworks that Burning Man is renowned for possible. In this very special episode, Crimson shares the journey that led her to Burning Man, the growth and evolution of this magical community, and an inside look into its business operations and challenges. She shares the heartbreak of canceling the physical gathering in Black Rock City in 2020, how Burning Man pivoted to VR, and how we can keep the fire of our communities burning through COVID. So let's jump right into it. Crimson, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Well, thank you for having me. So to start these episodes off, I really love to get an understanding of how my guests actually became community builders in the first place. I think we all have such a unique and winding path to it. And not a lot of people set out to actually become a community builder. We all kind of find our way into it. I know that in your early days, uh, you were very interested in theater and had a had a really interesting background in that. Can you share a little bit about your theater days and how you found community and belonging through this? Sure. Well, I always felt like, you know, I was doing backyard theater. We would put on a musical and lip sync and try to charge five cents for people coming in and watching. But, you know, it's funny because uh, when I was growing up, I didn't feel like I really belonged to anything except theater and dance and, and the musicals. And it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco that I got into theater and I became a mime. And I was also a fine art model for like 27 years with the San Francisco Models Guild. So I I was doing a range of activity that were sort of theater-esque in a way. I was drawn to it in some way. And I think my future was I was going to be drawn to Burning Man. I can totally see how that correlated. Tell me a little bit about uh, some of the people that you met, you know, through that journey of doing those theater productions. And I know a lot of it was sort of underground. I think we all felt like we were outsiders. And I think we would gravitate to people that we somehow felt uh, camaraderie with. And 
even being a fine art model, being a professional naked person sort of has a little bit of its stigma. But I found incredible freedom in that. And it was with working with the teachers that they would allow me to bring my art into the classroom. I would bring my fire and they would try to cap the fire. That's incredible. I can't even imagine how freeing and how exciting that must have been. Um, so you mentioned fire and I think that something that's so interesting and unique in your journey with Burning Man is that you were the original fire art dancer. So how did you originally start dancing with fire and what does this ritual mean to you? Well, fire is the very heart and essence of all life. It really is more phenomena than substance that is revealed, seen, touched in waves of risk and ritual. I believe it is the primordial energy of the divine manifesting in matter, and we are all part of that primordial ingredient. In the 80s, the late 80s, I had a dear friend, Phaedra, who has now passed, who taught me how to handle fire. And I had a little bowl of alcohol and a candle. And she said, get your fingertips a little bit wet and literally touch the flame. And of course, I had fear about this, but I, I did that. I got my fingers wet and I found that I could pull a little bit of the fire off of the flame. And it was a revelation. But it was a revelation with respect. Because I had to really respect this element because I didn't want to be burned. And it's, you know, a, a fire dancer, they say that they can control fire is not correct because it's always about manipulation, manipulation and not control. So for me, dancing with fire is a ritual because it really does give thanks to the fire that reaffirms and strengthens belief in myself. And what I find in turn, the fire transforms me as a vehicle to transmute energy literally provoking me to touch the flame. I, I find that fire burns in each and every one of us. We are all united by fire in our spirit, in our blood, in our hearts. Fire is what gives me life. But it really is up to me what, what I do with that fire, the intention of the fire. I find if I repeat something long enough, it becomes second nature to me, you know, a tradition, then a ceremony, a ritual, and even magic. And I am drawn to fire. I think to stand as close as humanly possible to the heat, to the danger. And I have found that dancing with fire with a bowl of fire and dipping my fingers into it and pulling out the fire, I am almost a servant of the flame because I find that the fire beckons to be released. It, it yearns to come alive. 
That's so beautiful. And wow, it's it's incredible to hear that it has so much meaning to you. It's such a beautiful art form, but there's so much more to it and there's such a deeper meaning. So thank you so much for sharing that. So I do want to learn a little bit more about what actually led you to Burning Man. When did you know that you needed to go to the desert? And was there a point where you were kind of skeptical about it all when, you know, you, you first came across it? My first uh, connection was having a conversation with Larry Harvey, who is, you know, our original founder. And this was in 1990. A friend introduced me to Larry, and we had a conversation. And they said they they do this this thing on the desert. And I said, okay, fine. You know, he sent me a videotape. I watched the videotape, and all I could see was fire. And I started getting pissed off because I'm going, what are these people doing? My goodness. And so I called I called him up and snobbishly, I will admit, I said to him, so do you do this on a solstice or an equi- equinox? He, he laughed at me and goes, uh, no. I said, oh, I have no time for you. And I hung up the phone and then I called up my friend and, and I yelled at him. So the next year, in 1990, 91, I should say, uh, they were having an event at Fort Mason, which uh, is in San Francisco on the piers. And so I showed up and there were a, a group of people that were holding a rope. And I looked over the edge and there's this wooden skeletal figure on a barge. And I'm, I'm going, I don't know what these people are doing. I'm gonna stand over here, this is too weird. So I stood there and slowly these people started pulling up the man and something in me clicked. I could not tell you what it was. I was immediately drawn to it. But I, but I have to say, Burning Man did not change my life. But what I did realize, it was the outlet that I, that I needed that would allow me to see differently. So, and Frank, I changed my own life by recognizing that I needed to pay attention, even though I could not verbalize what I was feeling. It, it was about going towards the experience, the unfamiliar world. And as they say, it's not what happens to us that matter, it's really our reaction to it. So I was pulled in, not knowing what to expect. I was an experienced camper, so I knew how to camp. Burning Man on the Black Rock Desert was already alive with fire when I arrived in 91. And at that point, there was only 250 participants in Black Rock City. And my first statement of radical self-expression was to put on my 16-foot silk wings and climb the man. And the man at that point was 40 feet. And this was my way of expressing my radical self. I knew exactly where to step. And I got all the way up to his shoulders. And from that moment on, I felt as if I was the protectress of the man. And if we were going to release the man by fire, well, you know, it's not just about lighting a match. It was really about preparing the intention of giving thanks for really the magic to happen. Now, over the course of years, uh, what always happens is that people are allowed to play. 
So I ended up creating an opening ceremony. And I had this beautiful cauldron and I literally take a magnifying glass and I light a fire in the cauldron. Now, sometimes that's easy. And sometimes I had to light the cauldron with a lighter. <laughs> and at a certain point, it didn't matter. It was about starting the week. And this fire would later be transferred into a giant lantern that was processed with 40 people to go to where the man stand. And a little bit of that fire was given to every one of the fire groups, the fire conclave that was standing in the area we call the great circle before the man is released in pyrotechnic delight. That is so cool. Wow, what an experience. And sometimes it's, it's like you said, like you, you're not sure why exactly it clicked for you, but it did. And I can relate to that. You know, sometimes you just have this like visceral feeling that this is where you're meant to be and you have to explore it, even though it seems maybe a little bit crazy to the outside world or to, you know, other people in your life. If you have that feeling that you have to explore this thing or this place or, or a connection or whatever it is, you, I think you really have have to follow that intuition. You mentioned there's like 250 people there at the at those initial gatherings. How do you think they found their way there and how how was that group curated? I think sometimes by word of mouth, you know, somebody said there's this crazy thing happening that you have to go or because the Black Rock Desert, I mean, you know, the Black Rock Desert is the largest flat expanse in North America. It's 200 square miles of a prehistoric dry flat lake bed in northwest Nevada with an altitude of about 3,800 feet. It felt like an expanse where anything was possible. And I think those that found themselves there took a, a fresh breath of air that anything was possible. Can you describe Black Rock City a little bit more? Why would people want to go to a place that, you know, looks like it's the middle of nowhere? Well, you, you have to also start with its location, the Black Rock Desert, which really is, looks like a foreign landscape of some place. I mean, and, and it's true. I would a place that seems to be barren as desolate, holds so much potential. And, and why would anybody go to the middle of what appears to be nowhere, the end of the earth? Well, there's a quote by Annie Braddock, and she says, there is a common belief among anthropologists that you must immerse yourself in an unfamiliar world in order to truly understand your own. And I feel that deeply, because the environment of the Black Desert is very harsh to us soft humans. We, we don't have scales that protect skin from the sun. And we don't have lizard eyelids to keep out the dust. Nature is the highest authority on the Black Rock Desert. And it can change at a moment's notice. And it will either break you or you will break through the barriers. And there really is no room for ego. You have to let go of that. And in so many ways, 
this environment, which was so unfamiliar to many of us, ended up becoming home. And I believe that we were searching for community. We wanted to share what we love and what makes us cry and what makes us laugh and what drives us crazy. So Burning Man takes place in Black Rock City. These are two different things. Burning Man is the idea and Black Rock City is the location. It's nine square miles. And we are a full-fledged, thriving, temporary metropolis. There are primarily volunteer-created and run services, and we provide just enough structure to support the survival of the organism. We have an airport, we have a radio station, we have a hospital, we have a post office, we have a cafe. Participants that come to Black Rock City must be prepared with everything they need to survive for one week. Whatever you bring, you take it away. Because Leave No Trace is really paramount for us because we are visitors to the Black Rock Desert. We must treat it that way. The only thing that you can purchase in Black Rock City would be ice and coffee. Ice, because we want to make sure you keep your food safe. And cafe wasn't just a place to buy coffee. It was a place for dialogue. And all the proceeds that we collect from the ice in the cafe, they are donated to local charities. So I know that the population of Black Rock City ends up being around 80,000 people, which is absolutely wild to think about when this is, you know, a temporary city that you're building from the ground up. So I'm really curious about how you actually organize and wrangle that high a number of people. And how do you create community amongst them with everybody coming from such different backgrounds, places and walks of life from all over the world? We literally create the framework. And I have found that this place has the power to evoke passion and desire. It inspires vitality and curiosity. And the environment has a vast, limitless environment really to provoke possibilities. It's the creative expression that's reflected back to us and really allows us to believe that really anything is possible. I mean, in those early years, there was no how-to manual. We learned from our challenges and have grown to adapt our creative juices, what I call the art spirit, in the vastness of the Black Rock Desert. This has taught us to be courageous and to not allow our fears to overtake us because we feel fear failure. Failure would be in the not doing it. If something worked, we did it again. If it didn't, we changed it. And this is still true today. This is why Black Rock City continues to evolve because culture evolves. And I have to quote Larry because he, he says it so perfectly. He says, all real communities grow out of a shared confrontation with survival. Communities are not produced by sentiment or mere goodwill. They grow out of shared struggle. 
our situation in the desert is an incubator for community. And so for us, whether it is to support the artists with their project, with heavy equipment, or the lamp lighters that illuminate the promenade, or the fire conclave that light up the night sky, I believe it's about belonging to something. I think that's what it is as well. I think it's, you know, the, the really like the magical communities where that feeling is evoked. And I can't think of a better example than than building a city and building a community that's tied with it. So you touched on this a little bit. You mentioned the principle of leaving no trace behind, but there's 10 principles to Burning Man. And, you know, we're not going to go through all of them. We'll link out to the full 10 in the episode notes. But I do want to learn about why you actually created those 10 principles. And, you know, maybe if there's any others that really stand out to you and how have they evolved over the years and, you know, really helped guide what you're building? Well, Larry Harvey wrote the 10 principles in 2004 as guidelines for the newly formed Volunteer Regional Network. They were crafted not as a dictate of how people should be and act. Uh, The principles weren't created and then we all marched to that tune. But what happened, it was a reflection of the community's ethos and culture as it had organically developed from the the event's inception. It was really about observing what was naturally happening. And I think that's the success of it. I mean, we did not create Burning Man for revenue. It was created for the culture because we really do care about the culture to keep it alive, to keep it vital. Culture is a living, breathing organism. And it needs to be stimulated and disturbed and set on fire or culture will die. I mean, we are the creative instigators, but we are also just people. We are the geeks, the freaks, the nerds. I'm the black sheep of the family. And this temporary city will not work unless these people, these participants, feel like they are part of the creation. That really is infinite. And I think it's so meaningful to people from, you know, all different walks of life, all different ages. I think that's such a beautiful thing about Burning Man as well, is that you're attracting people from all over the world. And there's people there from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. And the age range is so wide. And it's really for everybody who wants to feel like they belong to something that's bigger than themselves and where they can really co-create it and, you know, really feel like it's a place where they can belong, even if they do feel like an outsider, especially if they feel like an outsider. So I do want to chat about the business of Burning Man. You touched on, you know, some some failures and some challenges and that it was never created to be something that generates revenue as a primary purpose. But I think for a community to be sustainable and to to be really able to make an impact over the years, of course, you do have to think about the business of it and how to actually keep it sustainable. Well, in the early years, we were, our company was known as Black Rock City LLC. And there's six of us known as cultural founders, Larry Harvey, Marion Goodell, Harley Dubois, Michael Michael, Will Roger, who is also my husband, and myself. And we were financially responsible for everything that was happening in Black Rock City. 
So after many years of debating the course of action, myself and my fellow compatriots gave up our ownership of the company and gifted it to the community by creating the nonprofit Burning Man Project. And its mission really is to produce the annual event known as Burning Man and to guide, nurture, protect the more permanent community created by its culture. So in 2014, Burning Man completed our successful transition of the 24-year-old organization to a nonprofit organization. So Black Rock City LLC, the organization responsible for producing Burning Man events in the Nevada desert, became a subsidiary of the new Burning Man nonprofit. That's such a strong reason to make it a nonprofit. I think a lot of communities kind of sit on the fence of, you know, just not being sure what what the right thing to do is. Does it make more sense as a corporation? Can it go as a nonprofit? What's the best way to go about it? And that's that's an incredible reason that guided you to to take that step and then to to pivot it. So over the years, um, what have been some of your biggest uh, challenges and failures with uh, with Burning Man? You know, drawn to the desert, we were not trying to create a movement or change culture or even create a business. And I think back about there's three things that we should have failed as a business, but we didn't in spite of it. I mean, in the very early days, we never knew what our population was going to be. It, in the 90s, we never knew. And that's your money base. We never knew what the weather was going to be like. We ha- we have seen all kinds of weather, which is really exciting because, again, heavy weather takes your ego away. I've seen it hail on the playa. I've seen whiteouts that have lasted for days. So that can really mess you up. I mean, if it rains, it's really hard to drive on this lake bed because you will get stuck. And you also don't know what kind of crazy aspects will either elate you or bite you in the ass. (laughs) It, It was really about changing the rules of the status quo through community participation and interactivity. Now, every year we create a survival guide. We recreate it because we learn from our challenges the year before. When you create a city and invite people to participate in a new, somewhat hostile environment, we want people to understand what they should be prepared for. And over the years, as the population started growing, we realized it was really serious. We needed serious things in Black Rock City. We needed to see the big picture as well as the little details. Certainly safety, emergency services, we have a hospital because we're on, you know, a somewhat could be hostile environment. We want to make sure, as I said, we sell ice because we want you to keep your food safe. We also have our own DMV, the Department of Mutated Vehicles. We found at a certain point we needed to get people out of their vehicles because it became dangerous. But if you are going to drive, your ride needs to not look like a car. It needed to be mutated. So imagine a lobster or an upside down cow. And because Black Rock Desert 
is public land. Land is managed by the Bureau of Land Management. We also work cooperatively with different governmental agencies. But this land belongs to everybody. So by gathering in Black Rock City on the desert, we are exercising our First Amendment right, which is the right of people to peacefully assemble. So you touched upon the six founders that are involved. Can you share a little bit about, you know, the different levels of involvement in the operations of Burning Man and how do you work together and own various aspects of it? If each of us sort of get gravitated to different aspects of producing Black Rock City, whether it was the business, the infrastructure, the art the volunteers, every aspect we debated and talked for hours. Actually, we call it meeting man because we're serious meetings. So no matter what each of us was managing, we all shared in the conversation and always keeping the community really in our hearts. It's like if we were making a decision about how we were going to change something, it's like, okay, how is this going to affect the community? And listening to people's voices. And because the six of us had been through so much, there was a certain trust that really had developed between the six of us that we then passed on to our own staff so, you know, each of us in the evolution of Burning Man, we needed to trust that what somebody was speaking about, that they wanted to see a change happen, we had to listen to it. That's amazing that you're able to have that kind of dialogue and really work together and really focus on the areas where you're strongest to really bring it to life. I'm also curious about, you know, the people that are that are drawn to coming out to Black Rock City. I, you know, for the most part, it sounds like people are coming with really authentic intentions. And, you know, they feel like they're outsiders and this is a place where they can really be part of something that's bigger than themselves and really to be part of co-creating something and working through the challenges and really being there every step of the way. Is there an aspect to, you know, any people coming out because it seems just like the cool thing to do and because it's become such a popular thing that's so well known all over the world? And do those types of people last within the community or or do they find it super difficult when they actually like find themselves in the environment? Well, and certainly when somebody's come to the event and then they go home and they start talking about it, it's it's something I, I call the Black Rock Plague because they're going, oh my goodness, they, they can't stop talking about it because it affected them. Some, it's the music venues. Sometimes it's the art. And sometimes people will then have a perspective that they'll show up that it's the party. And you hope that they realize, oh, oh, this is much deeper. That's, That's what you hope. And I think for some, because of the environment, it it's not for everybody. You've got to be pretty hardy. I mean, I always think of Nevada as the Wild West. California is not the Wild West. Nevada is the Wild West. <laughs> That's so true. Absolutely. 
So I want to chat a little bit about art and community. It's obviously such a massive part of what makes Burning Man so special. So can you share a little bit about how art blends with the environment at Burning Man and works to foster community? I like to think that it doesn't blend with the environment. I think that it is the environment. And the environment being a blank slate, it's almost as if anything is possible. They're literally pulling the vision from out the deepest recesses of their being into reality by channeling the art spirit, allowing the muse to flow through them. I, I do think that making your truth real takes a burning desire. You cannot be creative without taking a risk by stepping off the edge of the known territory. Because creativity really has no limits, whether in concept or technique. The limits are only in one's head. And when you let go of the limits, there is total freedom. But I do think for some of the artists searching for perfection of bringing a creation to life can be either exciting or disappointing and may have nothing to do with the dreams, but the limitations of the physicality of materials. I mean, imagine trying to bend a piece of steel the way you want it to. This is art that has a social purpose, that connects people, that requires people to collaborate. And that's community. That is true engagement. And I believe that everybody is creative. Being able to touch the art, play with it, climb on it. Interactive art is the context for creativity that blurs the distinction between an audience and an art form, between participation, which is active, and spectating, which is passive. So there's two works of art that are really dear to my, to my heart, and they are the man and the temple. And the man stands at the center of Black City. That's where the survey of our city starts. And he is the cauldron. And in the turn, he pulls in. He becomes the vortex of all the energy, the laughter, the tears, the angst, the ego. And like a phoenix, he burns all of it. He lets go of it. There are circles of energy that will radiate out from the man as he's released in pyrotechnic delight. We pour our energy into the man and then we let go. The simple act of releasing one's art by fire reminds us of the immediacy and really the fleeting nature of existence. We release our ownership over the man in any art that we liberate by fire. We give it to the community. That's incredible. I think that's such a beautiful thing. A lot of people are kind of shy away from art because they they think that they don't have that creative spark or they don't have a way to contribute. But when you reposition it like that, that, you know, everybody's creative in their own way and everybody has some kind of skill that they can contribute. Maybe it's not the designing of the actual piece, but maybe it's the building it or, you know, helping the people that are. There's a way for everybody to be involved and to feel like they're part of it and they're they're 
part of shaping this experience. And I, I think that's so beautiful. So we touched on the magic of the community many times, and I really do believe that Burning Man is probably one of, if not the most uh, magical community out there in the world. But what has been your most memorable or magical moment, or you know, maybe maybe more than one? If I'm sure it's so hard to choose, but is there anything that really stands out? <laughs> oh, so many. But you know, I think, and they all sort of blend in together as one memory. And I think of standing in the safety perimeter before the man is released and really knowing what's coming with anticipation. You know, there are aspects, one of the things I love is that there are aspects that are beyond human control. For once the fuse for the pyrotechnics is lit, it's out of your hands. And you hope that you have done everything right, correctly, so the fire can really be released. Uh, watch the way fire will caress the geometry of work of art. And to me, then I see that geometry is sacred. And there's so many memories. <laughs> so many. I yeah, I can't even imagine, you know, even if somebody asks me like what has been your your most magical moment at fuck up nights, and you know, I've only been running it for about three and a half years. And even for me, it's very hard to choose. There's been so many. So I want to talk about the future of Burning Man. We're obviously recording this in in 2020 and with the impact of COVID, this is the year that you were not able to host a physical event, which I, I can't even imagine how heartbreaking that must have been. Can you share a little bit about what the impact of COVID looked like and how you you pivoted? I know that you hosted a VR version of, of the event. Oh, well, after much listening and discussion and careful consideration, we made the most difficult decision not to build Black Rock City in 2020. Because of the given, given the painful reality of COVID-19, one of the greatest goal challenges of our lifetimes, this we believed that it was the right thing to do. We were heartbroken. Many people were heartbroken. In 2020, we need human connection and immediacy more than ever. But public health and the well-being of our participants, staff, and, and the neighbors of Nevada are really the highest priority. So we made the decision to cancel Black Rock City. Now, what is very interesting, we did not cancel Burning Man. Burning Man is alive and well throughout the world. Black Rock City was canceled. The physicality was canceled. At the end of 2019, the theme for 2020 would be the multiverse. Now, for many, many years, 20 plus years, Larry started creating uh, a theme. It, it's really a very simple way for people to participate. So having the theme of multiverse in, now in hindsight was actually quite perfect. We built Black Rock City in the multiverse and we totally leaned into it. We weren't sure how it was going to come out. We thought, well, it would probably be messy and awkward with mistakes, but we knew it would be engaging and connective and fun. And now through the Philosophical Center, uh, the director, Stuart Mangrum, who wrote 
the theme. What he said was, and I quote, what will you be in the multiverse of Burning Man 2020? Will your reality be augmented, bifurcated, or omnidimensional? What dream worlds will you step sideways into, and who will you be when you get there? Only time will tell, or has told, is telling, end quote. So in that spirit, we worked with eight different virtual universes and the standalone temple experience in the 2020 Burning Man multiverse, each independently produced by members of the Burning Man community who have demonstrated their commitment to the 10 principles. So just as in Black Rock City, we know that building an experience is just as much fun as living it. I think it's so important what you said that, you know, you kind of you going into it, you knew that it was probably going to be an experiment that was going to be messy in a lot of ways. It's you, you're not going to be able to create something comparable to, to what it is in person. But I, I don't think that's the point. I think you have to evolve to something that's, you know, different. And I think when you're trying to recreate something that was, that's where, where you're kind of losing in a way. But when you're shaping a new experience that's kind of catered to the time set we're in now, that's where you're really able to make an impact. And it, it looked like it was wildly successful and people were able to feel like they were they were part of it and, you know, and engage online and to really feel like it was something that was, you know, maybe even more accessible if, you know, they, could, they couldn't before make it to the physical location. Here they were able to participate from the comfort of their, their own home. I think something so amazing about Burning Man is really, again, the distinction that you made between the physical location of Black Rock City and the mentality and the localized communities that you have. And that's really, I feel like that's the community that I'm part of. I unfortunately haven't had the chance yet to be part of Black Rock City, but I did get a chance to really immerse myself in the local community um, here in Toronto starting in 2014 and to really feel like I was, I was part of it in that way and to go to various types of events and connect with people who were part of it, who were building art installations and who were going to the physical event. So can you share a little bit about what those localized communities look like and how, you know, through these times of, of physical distancing and everything that's going on, how can they continue to band together to to keep the fire burning? Well, it's so great that you get involved and you are involved because the regional network plays a key role really in year-round extension of the Burning Man experience. There's 250 regionals in cities all around the world. And regional contacts help local burners connect with each other. And it really was about somebody that came to the event and was so inspired that they had to bring little nugget of experience and take it home. Now, what's really exciting is that every region is doing Burning Man in their own way. We don't tell them how to do it. As long as they are following the 10 principles, we cannot say how they're going to do it in their own way. In in Russia, they're going to do it different than Toronto. And that's really wonderful because that actually shows that the Burning Man experience is much bigger than just a little small location <laughs> in Nevada. 
And and if other people want that are listening that want to get involved, of course, our burn, our website is burningman.org. If you want to find regions in your own neighborhood, it's regionals.burningman.org. So what do you think the future holds for this community? I know it's, it's a really tough question to, to predict, but what has sort of been on your mind and, you know, how can people help and how can they get involved? Well, our staff work year round. And even though creating the VR was great, it really did leave a pain in our hearts. In a sense, we were all grieving that we couldn't build our beautiful city in the desert this past August, but we're resolved. Returning to Black Rock City is our number one priority. It's our community's greatest cultural engine, and the world needs sources of connection and inspiration and innovation more than ever. And so we do need people's help to get there. In 2020, the Birdie Man Project lost more than 90% of our annual budget as a result of COVID-19 pandemic. We face the challenge of running a global nonprofit without the financial means to continue our operations. We've cut our costs dramatically, but we still need help from the community to really bridge us to the next burn. So with contribution, I wanted to say that here are some of the things that we are doing. Retention of critical staff, who are working hard to bring Black Rock City back more inclusive and more sustainable than ever before. Maintenance of key infrastructure, especially our heavy equipment needed to produce the events and help support artists and art projects. Supporting our critical work with the Bureau of Land Management and other government agencies partnering on permitting event operations, stewardship, and more. And ensuring the health and safety for our city. So you can go to donate.burningman.org. We need your help. Absolutely. I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this are going to be moved to to help. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. And thank you for being so open with, you know, sharing just the heartbreak of it and the challenges. But I'm, I'm also positive that it's going to come back stronger than ever. I think, you know, like you said, people are are starved for connection and we need it more than ever. So whenever it is possible and whenever it's safe to, to gather again, I think, you know, these types of communities and especially Burning Man is going to come back stronger than ever. So I'm really hopeful and I'm excited to to finally have an opportunity to actually experience it and to physically be there. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how people that have built massive communities actually navigate their their personal communities outside of the community that they've built. So outside of Burning Man, uh, what other communities are meaningful to you and why? Well, I've always been creative. You know, I've probably been knitting for 60 years, but painting, assemblages, textiles, I dye fabric. So every one of those has its own community as well as I love to teach new people how to knit because it's also about learning from others. If I can learn a new skill and also if I can give my knowledge, I love that. I, I, I really do. One of the things I've actually been doing 
um, probably in the last 10 years as, as I have, every time a burner family is starting a new family and having a baby, I feel compelled to knit them a blanket. <laughs> That's so sweet. I love that. And this is a little bit of a strange question, but I love hearing people's responses to it and just the different uh, ways that people look at this. So I'm curious how you choose your people, you know, like the five to six people that are closest to you. Do you feel like you choose them um, sort of organically? It just happens or are there certain qualities that you look for? How do they kind of get and stay in your life? Oh, well, having a sense of amusement is really key. Are they open to new ideas? Um, do they have integrity? And the one person that is definitely foremost in my life is my husband, Will Roger, also one of the cultural founders. We celebrated 27 years this year. And going to to Black Rock City every year. We fell in love with the desert. Also, Burning Man Project owns a piece of property north of Black Rock City, the Flower Ranch. And we just finished installing a 104-foot diameter labyrinth that is all made of stones. And we're now working on how we can invite people to come to it so that we can all stay safe. So that also becomes uh, part of the community. And I do have to say that Will is now working on his second book, but his first compass of the ephemeral is a wonderful composite of all the different years of Black Rock City, where he would take aerial photos of the city and other aspects. That's so cool. I'd love to check that out. I know that's something you mentioned before as well when we first spoke is that really like the people that are closest to you, you feel like you've there's storms that you've ridden out together and that you've really like been through through something in life with them. And I think that's so important. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? Oh, so many things, but I always sort of answer it with a question is like, how can I serve? How can I serve somebody? How can I support someone and be a creative instigator and help others keep their fire burning in their hearts? I think it's that simple. That's such a beautiful definition. Crimson, thank you so much again for joining me. This was such a pleasure and such an amazing opportunity. Thank you, Marcia. And thank you to all those listening out there. I love you all. Stay well. It was such an honor to interview Crimson, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about Burning Man, donate, or to get involved, please visit burningman.org. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. 
A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.